This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I have no idea when Dev starts on this. Oh, me neither. Is it now? It can't be now. There's no way. Wait, it's coming up. Okay, hold on. Okay. Places. Places. The history of film. That better who you when the lights go dim. From James Cagney to Nosferatu and stunts that shock you. And dirty, dirty tricks to your made. From wings to Top Gun, movie stars and no ones. Romantic crazy fans that leave no real a ton. Hollywood is still from history in Hollywood. They chase the Oscar, but it's all a sham, just like Shaq and Kazam. All your dreams can come true. History, the history of film. All of it made for you. Good God, that was terrible. Bum, 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 bum. And that's the intro to scores, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, hell yeah. That's right, everybody. We're here today to talk about the history of film scores because we are film history. The The history history of of film. film. I, I went back to do the spooky version of it, but I forgot it's no longer Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's now oh. November, everyone. Yeah. We're into the uh, not-so-spooky story of Thanksgiving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing wrong Only with that. Only jolly. Only jolly Nothing stories Nothing horrific about it. <laughs> uh, the true story of Thanksgiving was actually a slasher film. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a pandemic Whoa. special. <laughs> it was also that the pandy special it was <laughs> it was every tragedy in one <laughs> but yeah it was real who's who's of murder this is another one where uh we're coming off of four you know four thick ones over here we had a mm-hmm. whole halloween season four in a row so four thick ones. <laughs> so i'm getting uh I'm, I'm bringing it to you just light tonight this is gonna be like you know a good jazz show over excellent because we're recording yeah. monday night and uh yeah I i'm also to, exhausted i have to edit tuesday and yeah. i'm so I, if we could keep this one under three hours that would be absolutely incredible. this will not be three hours long <laughs> don't worry and i apologize even sometimes to the audience like that's a lot you know i'm trying to chop them down a little bit these things just get into the weeds you know yeah yeah well the episodes <laughs> that go up on air after all the all the butchering i have to do to these yeah. uh, uh typically end up being two and a half yeah so yeah which takes but, 12 or 13 hours to edit yeah it's yeah. actually not exaggeration yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so this uh, this episode might end up being like an hour and a half which would be yeah. a nice little nice little uh, bite-sized one for yeah, you yeah for sure yeah. for sure yeah dev you remember this one we're pulling out of the old the old vault over here this was uh 
This is one that was done out of the Skip Bag Studios back in the day. The what? I don't. Uh, huh? My brain was confused. Oh, I mean, uh, this was one that was done. This was one that was done on the old Sunset Boulevard office back in the day. This is before I was born. <laughs> yeah, this is before Drake was born. I think you speak of a time long schools. ago lost to the ancient <laughs> ones. Dev's like that guy who the helicopter lands at that remote cabin. Know, and these guys in suits get out and Deb comes out and he's got like a beard and long fingernails and he's like I don't do that no more you know like, but, they're like but the government needs you Deb and he's like nah I'm retired and then like a uh, squirrel falls out of a tree and he just shoots it out of the air really fast he's still got his reflexes you know Excellent. I always Excellent. love those movies because the dudes have to still get super jacked for the movie. <laughs> so, like, even when they're all, like, quote-unquote retired, they mm -hmm. look like they're just ready to, like, fucking run 10 miles. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, fucking, dude, uh, I'm down to be a jacked old Simmons dude with gray got hair. Way, oh, fuck yeah. J.K. Yeah. Simmons got way too ripped oh to, my for God, Batman v Superman. Too ripped. Considering he was barely in that movie, you yeah. never saw him without a shirt. Also, just, like, <laughs> he got that weird look, man. He got that, like too much like there's a certain amount of body fat that you just need you know like five percent body fat is just not good i just don't especially uh, like it's always weird like an older man like it's just yeah, like you... dude i feel like i can see his heart yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i can trace his blood vessels yeah <laughs> I, can, I can see your veins all yeah, of them, every yeah, single yeah. One. i can see your organs my man <laughs> His skin's translucent at this point. Like, <laughs> I guess it's easier to do an operation on. Anyway. <laughs> so scores. Back to scores. Back to Cagney. <clears throat> yeah. Also called uh, background score, background music, film soundtrack, film music, photo play music, whatever you call these things, it's the music that's in the damn movie. You know, it's the film score. And... Uh, it's interesting. We're going to get all into the history of this. How did this all begin? Where did this start? And how did it get popular? You know, uh, Drake had some really good questions about how this got popular and who some of these people were that were doing film scores, etc. And we're going to get into that today. We're going to tell you a little bit the whole history of that, of film cool. scores. Because yeah. my first question would be like, obviously, isn't there always yeah. been music in movies? First yeah, of all, you would first think, of all, not, hold on. Drake, I love you, but a question is not the word obviously. Obviously, obviously, I was just like, my yeah, first yeah, yeah. question is obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, with an inflection at the end. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's my first. Question. I got you. No, yeah, no. So not for, not forever. You know, <laughs> not back in the day. They uh, they would just listen to a very loud projector in the back of the room. Really? Like, it, yeah, it was just right there. Yeah. And we're going to, I'll talk about it today, but that's one of the reasons why film scores began. It was because back in the olden days, you'd sit in these like theaters and you'd smoke your cigarettes and cough blood and stuff. And you were just sitting in like a. <laughs> cough up your tuberculosis. Yeah, cough up your TB. And you're just, everyone's just sweating, you know. And there, you were in like a pop up tent. Um, you've seen this on Red Dead. You've seen it. You know, I think we've talked about it a million times yeah, in the show, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. But I always like to set the scene. And there's the projector right behind you. If you're in the last row, you're sitting, like, next to it. Mm. And it is ear-piercingly loud. <laughs> like, so fun. These early projectors were, you would, people would hold their ears and watch 
whatever was on screen. <laughs> and that was one of the reasons they started trying to like solve that problem. Drown out the Yeah, the people are leaving music. with fucking migraines. They're already so hung over, you know, <laughs> they're all like wasted all the time from like eighteen sixties liquor, you Wh- know. Why and, did anyone find this an enjoyable way to spend the afternoon? Man, it was something. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> it was something. It was not looking at like a horse or like you know. I, this was like magic. I think it was just something to do. Then. This was like yeah, and it was the magic. new tech, yeah. the newest tech, man. You got to think like <laughs> it wasn't looking at a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it probably was. They had a lot of uh, moving picture shows about horses. Can you imagine that guy who looks at horses all day and then goes to a movie about horses and is like, "This isn't the real thing." I don't know. <laughs> this is not realistic. Also, I just want to escape. Jesus, <laughs> no more horses. Every time I close my eyes, I see horses. <laughs> my dreams are horses. <laughs> There's just like n- like horse sounds uh, around them. It's like okay. horses everywhere. I wake up in the middle of the night and instead of my wife, it's a horse. It's a horse. I just fucked my horse. <laughs> but no, they weren't doing it to a lot of those old movies. But the funny thing is, is it wasn't really such like a new um, a new idea. They back in the day they were doing orchestra scores for like paintings back in the way early like 1500s what? and shit yeah interesting yeah so if a big uh, big artist would paint a big you know they would have like a big gallery <laughs> thing a fucking artistic endeavor artistic <laughs> endeavor <laughs> And, um, yeah, somebody, some other famous-ass person who knew how to play the piano or some shit would come up with some music for the music to be played along with the painting. Yeah, and you would walk through the gallery, and there's, he's, like, playing the whatever. That's that's cool. That's that's a bassoon. We've been trying to combine um, music and performance forever, man. Like, you gotta think in the royal courts, like, even uh, famous composers like Beethoven and Mozart and Bach, they would have these symphonies, and then they would... After they were written and performed, then when they were performed by others, maybe not them, like somebody in Russia, they would add the ballet to it. And then they would add, like, you know, a court jester doing, like, an acrobatic performance or, like, James said, a painter or whatever. I I mean, this I think that integration had been occurring probably since, like, the Greeks, man. I bet they were playing music during time of plays. You're actually... You you hit the nail on the head. It was back. They they say that incidental music dates back as far as Greek drama, and yeah, it is known for certain that 16th century English drama began to include songs and music to connect one act to another, and so there were like like Shakespeare, uh, much much ado about nothing, The Tempest, The Merchant of Venice, and As You Like It incorporated incidental music, and it was. But this was, um, it was a little different. This was what I was talking about a little bit about how they would just improvise the music. It was kind of just like free form. Uh, like, I like I guess, yeah, so like the, freestyle. The piano guy would just go and play yes. something. He would just play something. Yes. There was yeah. no sheet music. That's the thing. And it, yeah. it wasn't necessarily even to go along with the scene. Mm-hmm. It was just music. Whatever he felt like. Yeah. It was like background And again, music. obviously, question think. mark. They had like all string instruments and stuff. So if they're doing a play, they can just be like, all right, play like like a background music that would play if you're like playing a video game and like an RPG and walking around and there's just something going right. and it doesn't really need to be cued with your actions. It's just like there. 
I think you're I think you're not getting enough credit how much work goes into game scores, my friend. <laughs> there is no music that's just playing in a game. <laughs> oh shit. All right, fa- uh, fair go. enough. Game my history, point is that the music is not synced to the actions in the game that if you're free flow, like if you're in the story and it changes, mm-hmm. of course. But like if you're just like walking mm-hmm. around Red Dead or something, or Skyrim, you know, it, there's music playing, but it's not, you know, I don't think it changes based on you picking up a rock or something. I think it not does. based Not when, based on picking up yeah, a rock specifically, like but like, yeah, you're but like combat, when combat has combat, combat musical play, if you're like, detected, like it'll when switch you, to like a, like a more sneaky when music When you run across stuff. some rusty fellas. All right, so yeah. <laughs> like, the, all right, so you're right. Video game coders are just slightly more advanced than 16th century artisans. <laughs> you got me. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, I want these 60th century violin players to also watch what's going on, okay? We don't have any oh, sheet Lord. music. I can't pay attention. I got to make sure my I don't get shot with an arrow for slacking off. <laughs> Not playing fast <laughs> enough in front of the fucking king. <laughs> oh, man. That's how you do it. That's how you become a good musician. Yeah. Can you Speaking imagine the groupies, Simmons, though? Like Whiplash? What's that? So could you imagine the groupies having like the medieval groupies that would just see you rocking out? Oh yeah. On stage, oh yeah, yeah. And then afterwards you it go was, to the tavern. Yeah. Everybody else in town is like a fucking blacksmith and like a, yeah. a farmer and like you got the cool job. You're like a you know, fiddle player in a, oh, in a yeah. king's court. If you were like a fucking if you were like a bard at like a big <laughs> pub you were going from like door to door, just like every woman in town. <laughs> like it was like they would have appointments, you know. Like <laughs> actually, maybe that's not true. I don't even know. What if they were like, "Who is this like fucking Listen. singing boy?" Yeah, in the this, corner? this little dandy boy here. <laughs> My I'm husband sure. has arms the size of me, and he's a blacksmith. I don't know. I challenge our audience to <laughs> this go boy find has flowers evidence. for eyes. <laughs> I'm not attracted to this. This is the 1600s. <laughs> That was just Jim Morrison. <laughs> Jim Morrison was just like a bard. And then Mozart said, up next, The Doors. The Doors. <laughs> Where to cut all this? This is not usable. It's funny, though. We'll Cancel put it in the, the comp. We'll Cancel. put it in the compilation. Cancel the show. Um, right, but what we do know is... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What we do know is around 1895 is when a pianist, not a penis, <laughs> would be given uh, cue sheets as a guide, and that's when he would play along uh, to the film. And But again, you know, this is more just like improvising. Like, he was just like, he would watch the movie and bang out his keys and drink a bottle of whiskey and be ready for the show. I imagine they would pay him like a fucking wooden nickel you know or like a railroad tie and like that was or they would just pay him in whiskey you know either one i mean a lot of whiskey drinking happening so he here. would watch the movie beforehand right up i would assume was, but maybe not i mean look Probably he's not, not getting paid a lot Probably definitely not because no you got it like think about it like with theater and i, I like was thinking hot. i was thinking about this while you were explaining it because in theater your, your pianist your accompanist watches what's going on on stage pianist. like they have to be positioned like the reason the orchestra pit is right there is so the people in the band can see 
what's going on on stage. That way, if somebody drops a line or somebody gets behind or there's an issue, the band and the music can cover or change live and in the moment. So it's not like a recorded track. So it makes sense that if these pianists were already doing this with theater and then they just got hired to do another gig, which is like, oh, let's do it with this new thing called film. I imagine they did exactly what James just said and had a bottle of fucking whiskey on the top of the piano and just sat there facing the screen, watching, yeah. playing. What if and, you get you tipped? Know, kind of Maybe winged they tipped it. you. Yeah, I assume so. Yeah, yeah tip, like tip, after the movie, they'll come your, up and tip you. Tip your piano man. I, I hope so. Hey, yeah. tip your piano man out there, people. If you're watching a movie and there's a guy playing a piano in front of their screen, <laughs> tip his ass. Or ask him to leave because or he's probably, probably not needed anymore. <laughs> He's just playing over like yeah, Dunkirk. Yeah, you're you're in you're in the AMC to see Dune, and some motherfuckers just playing Mozart. Like, try to hear the movie. He's like got a kazoo. He brings like a whole Wurlitzer. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later. I mean, I would be super but, impressed. Uh, <laughs> I would be impressed too. But the first recorded case of this method of the piano man in front of the movie was uh it was actually in Paris. It was at of course it was. Yeah. It was at the Lumiere Brothers first film screening or public movie in Paris <laughs> in eighteen ninety five. We're having a public, public movie. movie. <laughs> it's not a private one, see? It's public. And the film was called Camille Sans Sans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to speak French. Camille. What was it about? Sans sans. I'm sure it wasn't about anything elaborate. A man playing at the beach or something. Like, I'm <laughs> Probably. Sure, I'm yeah. sure it was not elaborate A man whatsoever. At the beach. <laughs> a man on a horse at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just he's got like a little blow up ball. He's just he's in one of those like one piece yes, bathing suits dude. and he's just like throwing it in the air. Yeah, and, and women it. are in those dresses. Yeah. Remember they used yeah. to wear like full dresses yeah, just yeah, to go yeah. to the beach? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those water a, dresses. It's a very yeah. There's a very interesting story about a lady who ended all that. She like she like protested on the beach in like a a knee low pants bathing suit and they were like they sent her to jail they like tor- <laughs> they like tortured her in guantanamo for like wearing you know <laughs> indecent exposure yeah indecent exposure they just beat her with nightsticks <laughs> all Go right ahead, what's the movie about so l- uh, let me i'm gonna take a stab at this french la sortie de usine lumière et lyon uh, means yeah, yeah. workers leaving the Luminaire factory in L- <laughs> Lyon. Oh, I've seen that. So, I've seen that. By the way, yes, it's on YouTube. The French, get a different fucking name for your first movie ever. The Luminaire. Fa- <laughs> you have the word Luminaire in the first movie you ever see. Get out of here. Anyways, this, uh, this movie, there's three different versions of this movie that are often referred to as uh, original exi- like versions of the film. They differ right. amongst each other. So meaning maybe the, the order in which this, it was arranged because it was kind of like a series of slides probably changed from each showing. Um, so their nicknames for them are the one horse, the two horse and the no horse version, because it's in reference to a scene where there's a horse drawn carriage, um, yep. that doesn't Gotta exist have in a lot of those, but, uh, yeah, the, I've actually seen this movie. Which version so did you see? What was it about? <laughs> Tell us the horse. Your words. <laughs> which one? The I could have just, I could have just been seeing horses, like, you know, imagining them. Was it the one horse or the two horse version though? The, mine was the three horse. Oh, the three horse. Wait, so there was a no horse version. <laughs> 
Why, why was there a carriage with no horses? I'm just kidding. Mine was two and a half horses. Okay. I'm just lying right now. I don't know how many horses were in mine. I just know I've seen it. I also know it's just funny to me because like the Lumiere brothers literally just set up a camera at their movie factory and filmed everybody getting off work for 15 minutes hired a famous composer to do a score for it and they called it like a historical drama which is it was not but it's I mean, the sort french of, I they, they 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 did a thing and then it became popular and they were like oh yeah we meant to do this it was really an yeah. artistic achievement look at us i you know hey it is fascinating <laughs> watch it on youtube it's fascinating i mean if you've ever wondered what 1895 factory workers look like you know i got the movie for you you know uh <laughs> Boy, do I have the Riveting. film for you. <laughs> Riveting. Look, I watched it for all 15 minutes. It, it kept me intrigued, especially with all the horses, however many there were. But uh, <laughs> it was so the first frame by frame film score was written by the composer of the ever popular Gymnopedes. Eric Satie was his name. The year was 1924, and the film was a silent production called Entracht. <laughs> Jesus. Sadie devised an ingenious system of synchronizing his music to specific frames in the film. A first in film music history. Uh, and, of course, this is, like, still to this day the technique of, you know, syncing music to or film. Just doing the music when the thing happens? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Like the most, you know, obviously with a question mark thing yeah. that you could do, <laughs> you know, rather than just literally winging it, you know. <laughs> it was genius idea of everything being intentional. Um, <laughs> this dude was like, really? I'm a genius for this? It's like, no one's thought of this yet? It's like, I've... I've I was just pissed that it didn't go along with the movie so many times. I decided to, you <laughs> know, it fix myself. it. Yeah, I'll do it's it like, I guess no one's going to do this. Like, So at this point, the, everything's being played live, though. Like, do record players not exist yet? So they were do, there were early versions. There were early versions of wax cylinders and um, the, the cylindrical vinyl records that would come out a little bit later. But also, all that shit was expensive, you know, and it, this was just kind of one of those things where it was just the way. Um, this is also around the time where the Wurlitzer was introduced, you know, and so most of these theaters, Dev and I talked about Wurlitzers on the episode that we did back in the day, uh, but most of these theaters, the big theaters would have a Wurlitzer, but the smaller theaters might not be able to afford a Wurlitzer, so they're still just a dude with a piano, you know, <laughs> big type of stuff. It depended okay. on the, the theater that you're going to, okay. you know, yeah. But, yeah, like the big ones that you would go to would have a Wurlitzer doing all this stuff. And, and when did the Wurlitzer come around? Like what year? So I'll just say, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. The theater organ, it's an organ, it's mm -hmm. a for theater, is related to the classic church wait, wait, pipe wait, organ. Wait, where, where's the... <laughs> Run it back again. Where does it? What is it for? Where does it go? <laughs> it's for a theater. It's a theater it's an organ. organ. <laughs> an organ for theaters. Theaters organs. <laughs> Listen, the title of the show is kind of repetitive as well. It's okay. the poison for Cusco. Cusco's poison. The poison made specifically for Cusco. I Cusco's says to poison. the guy. I says, you know. Uh, <laughs> Let me guess. What was the name of the guy who made it? Uh, I think his name was it's Verlitzer. As a oh, matter of God. fact, uh, I would never have thought that. He was the one who made the theater organ for theater. Uh, <laughs> and this was a basic design. This was your, your kind of a classic organ, uh, you know, a 2,000-year-old design, basically. Air blown through pipes. 
each tune to create the different musical tone, and that creates the sound from the theater organ, the organ for the theater. <laughs> Blowers located under the ranks or sets of pipes force air into them, and valves are open as the organist plays the keys and tabs. You guys know how a fucking organ works. I'm just telling you. You know, I really don't. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's all air. I understand the concept of, but like the specifics, like it blows my mind. Like I can't believe we yeah. figured this shit out. I don't know how this the key... seems more complicated than coding fucking software. <laughs> this like... is why most theaters would just be like, just get a fucking piano, just get a guy at <laughs> a piano. So, I don't know how to fix that thing. Look at these controls. <laughs> Like, that's why I pulled up a picture of this. And, and for those of you listening, it's uh, imagine a station, like a console that um, like a work desk that is angled and on it is several tiers of keys like a piano. And then in a semicircle around it is, again, several other tiers of individual toggle switches and buttons. And every time you press one of those or press one of the you know, 20 pedals underneath, it shoots compressed or shoots air through a pipe and that pipe goes down under where that console is through the floor and up into the walls where these, you know, different tones of these organs. So like a, a big brass tube with a, a hole in it that creates a hoo hoo in different tones. And then it'll also be rigged to sound effects like uh, a cowbell moving or a train. I'd rather horn, have to learn C or, sharp. Any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they had like bells and literally bells and whistles that this, guys would like play. It's really cool. Is that where that came from? Yeah, maybe. All Whoa. the bells this and whistles. Is <laughs> the first soundboard of a DJ. Yeah, absolutely. It was more like he was a DJ soundboarding a movie. Yeah, for sure. Like it all cool. it you needs know, is a DJ Khaled button that says another one, and you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine and, Avicii playing this at EDC. <laughs> bro, that oh would be god! Yeah, fucking Coldplay <laughs> would play a Wurlitzer for sure. Dev, where is the place where you can go? Watch, you can go watch the Wurlitzer at work in LA, right? At like yes. the Winkerfest Museum or whatever it's called. <laughs> that's a website. The Wacken Doodle. That's on the dark web. That that's on the dark it web. Is, the it Wacken is Hut. Uh, the Nutter Cutter Museum. Nutter Cutter Museum. Yeah, that's a dark website for sure. <laughs> yeah, nuttercutter.com. Uh, <laughs> Nether Cut. Uh, Nether Cut. Nether Cutter. It's, it's Nether Cut. Nether Cut. Not like Nether hell? Cutter. I don't know why I added the ER. So the oh, Nether Cut collection is a museum in up by Santa Clarita in the valley that uh, the owner was this really rich man who owned a bunch of cosmetic lines and brands and he collected cars forever. And he's got these the probably one of the largest, most expensive car collections of rare, like eighteen hundred cars and shit. Beautiful stuff. But as a part of that museum is this Warlitzer organ. And there's only like cool. four or five of them at this scale, the theater organs that are left operating in the world. So they have that there. And as, when you go through the tour, uh, they play it for you and they do a showing of how it all works. And there's like plexiglass panels so you could see the moving parts behind the oh, walls awesome. and like understand it. But they'll also, during the holidays, do shows there where they'll air old movies that have the Warlitzer soundtrack from the early 1900s added to it. And you can go watch these historic films and you can go watch holiday films there. I highly encourage anybody in the Southern California area to make a trip to Ooh, at least check Hollywood out the, uh, the performance. Films? Yeah, like they'll they'll score new newer films with the Warlitzer. So like they'll cool. any of the they'll program it for like John Williams. Dunkirk. They'll program it for like 
you know, I, a Christmas story or like whatever. Like you can go and like look at their lineup on their website, and it's pretty cool. You know, we we kind of do a version of the Wurlitzer editing this podcast. Yeah, that's you know, true. Yeah, all the bells and whistles. Well, you know. I would be, yeah, I'd be really interested to see if there's like yeah. any kind of Christmas shows that would be, be fun. Cool. Just be yeah, that'd be a fun Christmas adventure. Yeah, and the peak of the Wurlitzer was 1926. That was like when it was like the fucking hottest. They said uh, they had to mass produce it. They were shipping one Wurlitzer a day. In wow. 1926, all year. In 1896, Edison, you know, he's got his new revolutionary Vitascope projector, and he would play the film, and a full orchestra would play it. Of course, Edison went all out in an orchestra pit, like the Hollywood Bowl style. And wow. it was like watching Jaws at the Hollywood Bowl or one of those. They still do that, you know, but that was his version of this in 1896 fun tidbit too uh at the academy museum that's something that they started doing is uh you can get tickets to see movies scored live by an orchestra um very cool and they're not it's not expensive to go so if you want this you want a blast from the past of like live live music mixing and them just kind of winging it yeah just uh check out the uh the academy museum this did evolve into people writing this the music specifically for the movie and then they would mat they would sort of send that out with the film and then eventually what would wind up happening is the studio itself would send the music with the movie you would get all the canisters of film or however you were going to show it you know mm-hmm. and the the sheet music would be with that ship oh cool and okay. your musician whoever what if it's a Wurlitzer, if it's a guy with a piano if it's an orchestra mm-hmm. they they got it all covered you know? i It'd be it's so funny because I'm sure this happened like multiple times where it's like the sheet music just gets mixed up. Yeah. And so you go into a movie that's <laughs> scored like completely differently, and you're just like, you know, you, you, there's no internet before, so you're not even sure the vibe of the what the movie's supposed to be. You so got you're like, just like you got like the Jaws theme song going to the Lego movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You're yeah. just like kind of like, does this seem weird to you? I don't know. It does seem weird, but it's like. It's 1843, and I wouldn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. Maybe it's just an artistic decision, you know. Can you imagine, like, Nosferatu getting mixed up with, like... Modern times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wizard gold, of Oz, gold that's what I was trying Nosferatu to get mixed up, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, also at the time, the, the when the studio started doing this, don't get me wrong, it wasn't for every movie. Like, the studios did that for, like, big ones. Okay. You know, like, uh, one of the first ones that a studio paid for was D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, <laughs> the love story to the KKK, you know. Um, Griffith Park was not af- named after D.W. Griffith. I have accepted it. All right. Um, <laughs> I really thought I had him there. Hollywood Land. Hollywood Land just putting it out there. That janitor did the right thing. (laughs) Smashed through that racist sign. (laughs) But yeah, that was D.W. Griffith. Uh, It was scored by Joseph Carl Briel. And that was like the first studio released, you know, piece of music for a movie. What a stand to What make. a st- man. It's almost like what everything it's almost like everything in Hollywood starts really bad. You know? <laughs> well, we got to make sure the music's good for the racist movie. Right, right. It's a love story to the KKK. We got to make this right. <laughs> we can't have them winging it. <laughs> it's so, a three and a half hour story oh my God. about so, the KKK, by the way. Lots of horses. Let's just, ref- <laughs> let's just point out an observation that the first movie score was for Birth of a Nation, and I believe the first talkie 
was also Al <laughs> Jolstein yeah. and the Jazz yeah. Singer. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So I don't know ground. what is going on with Hollywood and the film industry and sound. <laughs> but this exploded, and now... You know, this became like everyone said, that's what I want to do now. The need for expert composers was suddenly uh, huge, you know, okay. and Hollywood turned to Europe at first, basically. That's um, where all the good ones So, was this around the time where like it started being taken seriously? Like, because I imagine yeah. up to here, it was almost seen as like Service a lesser trip. job to be composing for a, one of these like gimmicky movies. Yeah. But after this, it was considered, like, a little bit more prestigious. There was one grandpa who, like, the first time they started playing music to movies, he's like, what? What are you doing? Like, get, get out of here. I'm trying to listen to this loud projector. You know? Like, what? They're ruining my movie over here. Just playing random music through the whole thing. It's drunk piano, man. <laughs> I hope the piano man sometimes got so drunk he just started singing along to it, too. <laughs> Everything on the screen. It's like, now train's coming. <laughs> He's narrating what's going on. <laughs> and now there's a horse. So, okay. <laughs> I wonder, like, was there ever any, any of your research never come up? Because this had to have happened. Was there, was there ever tried to be, like, an industry built around basically, like, science theater style where people, like, would comment over movies, like, commentary over movies? I mean, we tried to do it. Me and my old friend from Rooster Teeth did a show on YouTube. But, I mean, back <laughs> then, when there was no sound anyway, oh, and there yeah, was not even I'm music, sure. was there, like, comedians that would go off sure. and be like, and now a train! <laughs> I'm sure. Absolutely. They were doing all sorts of shit back in these days. When you got it, like, a, you would just get this movie, you know, or whoever would be touring it around the whole world you know the whole touring around america this fucking like 15 minute movie about like a train and a horse <laughs> and they would show up and yeah i'm sure a lot of people were like okay well we're gonna have like an mc you know like <laughs> and now a train that's the way i do it at my theater um <laughs> so are people still excited to go see uh musicians in concert like orchestras and stuff in concert is that still a thing that people oh, like sure. to do yeah, yeah so yeah. this is kind of the movie because like now, obviously, people go do see that, but it's not as big as it used to be, right? right. Like, people just don't care as much. now you could go much. see it and you had something to look at. It wasn't just right. playing instruments. We'll see, but, like, my point is, like, the most prestigious thing I think you can achieve as a composer right now, and I could be totally wrong, but I would think that would be to be a composer for big movies. Yeah. Right? Like, a Hans Zimmer kind of thing. I like, see what you mean. So, like, when did the goal of composing be to be a film composer and not, like, around a guy here. who... Really? I think this was around... The, they... Looked at Europe, because I think they thought, if we're looking for composers, Europe does music. You know, we're over here doing crap. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know. It, we're making yeah. craft cheese TV. Yeah, yeah. We're doing jazz right now. We're mm -hmm. in the 20s. We're doing jazz. They're still over there doing the boring stuff that we need for our movies, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> so, so, like, one of the first, the first completely original score for a movie with sound, uh, like a talkie now, was composed by Max Steiner. And he was like the father of film music, is what they call him. Like, he is the dude. It was for King Kong in 1933. Mm. He did the score for that. And that is when, like you said, like this became a thing to do. Okay. You know, this became a career that you could do. You could be a composer. And do stuff for Hollywood mm, now. Cool. You know. Hitler loved King Kong, by the way. Oh, I'm That's sure all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, yeah. And those for I, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, then we'll have to do King Kong at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Dude, okay. my grandfather saw King Kong in the theater in 1933. 
And really? He, yeah, he said it was the worst movie he had ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's like why was... he fought Hitler. <laughs> that, yeah. that was it what was... World War II was actually about. I gotta kill somebody for this movie. <laughs> if only there was a Rotten Tomatoes in 1933 where people could have shouted <laughs> about this amicably. There was. It was called an M1 Grand. My grandfather carried it, damn it. Only Rotten Tomatoes around here are Nazis. <laughs> Somebody's going to pay for this goddamn movie I just watched. I tell you that. <laughs> I thought about I thought about what I was going to say. So when we were talking about these composer or these players who these piano players who kind of watch the movie and play along at the same time and like I'm sure that they had other gigs, right? You know, they probably did that right. for a theater. They probably played at bars and like, you know, right. just whatever they could throughout their career, you know, whenever there wasn't a movie showing or whatever. So I'm just envisioning like some guy in the old West who, whenever a new movie comes into town, that's his gig. He plays at the theater, but then the rest Hell of the yeah. time he's playing at the saloon. So what happens <laughs> when like a fucking Mexican standoff over poker breaks out in the saloon? Does he freeze or does he like watch it and play dramatic music? Oh, you gotta play along. <laughs> That's one way to get out of getting shot, too, is if you just right? play the music for their gunfight, they're not going to shoot at you. You know, they don't want to stop That's very true. And also, they would see, that... They need to feel cool. They're not going to feel cool without music. I'll, I'll find my way out of this with music. <laughs> <laughs> also, that, is, that can man. go one of two ways. It's like you either defuse the situation or somebody's like, shut the fuck up and just blows right, like, right there. That's true. That's very true. Every yeah. piano man that I can think of, like the, the image that always plays in my head is... The fucking the vaudeville star from yeah. Family Guy, the guy you know in the striped, yeah, yeah, striped yeah, yeah. hat, and striped pants, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. God, bring that bit back. It's been like a decade since we that they buried that bit. Bring it back. <laughs> yeah, those guys, these guys would have been more like. Well, it depends on what era you're in, but more like uh, Red Dead Redemption style. You know, mm. wearing some like dirty old overalls or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't imagine they got paid a lot of money. I just can't. I I can't imagine they did. But who knows? I might be wrong. I mean. If you know how much old piano <laughs> men get paid, tweet at us at Phil Mystery. And go ahead and film. send that old inflation calculation. <laughs> yeah, 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 do yeah. It. Uh, There you go. There's a, there's a reason to use the sound effect. I just said it. <laughs> uh, but it, it had a cool evolution after this, too. Like, a lot of film composers started to play around with this, you know, new thing of scoring these movies, basically. And uh, what you were getting a lot back in these days, like the 30s and 40s, was uh, characters would have their own theme songs, sort of. Like, characters would have their own tone and uh, shifting in the story. And, you know, like plot elements and stuff started to have... You could tell the guy was around the corner because you heard the music start. Okay, you know, cool. Type of shit. So, like, yeah. this is where we started putting developing that? Yeah, yeah. They would get really specific with it, cool. you know? And I mean... I guess it makes sense like that dude back in the day was doing it frame by frame, but yeah. I think this was a little different. It was yeah. like each, like I said, I mean, each character has their own thing, you know? Yeah, which is stuff was... we take for granted now, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. we, we expect characters to have their own themes. We oh, expect... yeah, man. And scores mm -hmm. can make or break a film. Mm -hmm. Score is, in my opinion, 60% of the film, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. It is most important. Have you guys thing. ever seen that video? Someone's trying to, like, illustrate that in a very simple way where there's this video of an alligator walking out of the lake, 
and he plays the same clip with three different types of music, and it's either the funniest thing you've ever seen, yeah, scary as hell, or just really boring. Yeah, yeah. Actors yeah. talk about uh, losing out on Oscars because the wrong score was playing during a scene. Mm. Like, if it had been a different, more dramatic score to this dialogue I was delivering, it would have hit way harder, mm-hmm. you know? And it's true. It's very important. That's but, a common uh, homework assignment in film school is to be given a, everyone be given a scene, like a, a footage, and then you create, you know, a couple different scores to it with trying to convey different things. So it's, I think that's like one of the most fun things to do is score a movie because obviously yeah. you can get real creative in your timing of like, you know, how a scene is interpreted with making it funny versus scary. Exactly. They, they started to become famous for it too. Like after King Kong, you know, everybody started to get on board with this and like the thirties and forties is where you started to see famous composers. You know, these dudes were, they were always in the credits, but now they're like in the credits. They have like mm-hmm. one card that says like composed by, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like uh, Eric Wolfgang Korngold did the Seahawk. Is that the brother of Wolfgang Puck? Yeah, that's him. That's him. <laughs> one of them made food. The other <laughs> made uh, made music. You had uh, Miklos Rosa, who did uh, Double Indemnity and Ben-Hur. Um, you had Dimitri Tiomkin, who did Lost Horizon and It's a Wonderful Life. And Franz Waxman, who did The Bride of Frankenstein, Rebecca. Uh, but then you had like... A little bit afterwards, you had Bernard Herrmann, who did Citizen Kane and The Day the Earth Stood Still, and Psycho. And Psycho was like a huge change of the game, you know? This was like kind of the first horror sting Mm, music. You know, that famous... Yeah. I mean, that all came from Psycho, you know? And this is... This is that evolution from these guys just sort of starting to experiment with stuff. And this so I, I have a question that's kind of unrelated. Yeah. Uh, um, why is Ben Hur remade so many times? Is Ben Hur that good? I, I I mean yeah, Ben Hur is that good. It's a very good movie. A dude died making it. Wow. Yeah. Which time? Uh, all of them. All of them. You have to die to make that film. Somebody has to die. Yeah. Um. Someone got caught under the wheels of the. Yeah. Yeah. And they apparently used the take. That's Whoa. the legend. Oh, the legend okay. is is the take that you see where he's getting mm-hmm. wrapped up in the wheel is the one that he died from. I believe and that. Yeah. That was in the original one. Yeah. Okay. There's also a really funny scene where there's a huge helicopter shot they were getting of the Coliseum and everything. And there's a red Ferrari in the parking lot. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Some dude like drove up to set in his Ferrari that day. And was just fully on frame. That's funny. As shit. <laughs> but this is of course where Disney comes along. The first album to be commercially released, you know, like you could buy it separate was Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Really? In 1938. Wow, that long ago? Yeah, and it's cool. You can still get it. You can still get the record of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And, you know, I mean, it was huge. Mm -hmm. This was people were lining up around the fucking corner of the record store to get this really? Snow White album. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ginormous. I mean, one of um, the things I was going to mention is it seems like I'm looking at the list of the Academy Awards for best uh, musical composition and stuff over the years, and it, it seems like there's a running theme where Disney's first time, whenever they're doing a first movie or an animated thing, those always are at least nominated, if not win. So, like, Mm -hmm. starting with, obviously, you know, we go back to The Wizard of Oz, which is not really animated, but it's, like, first color. 
But then you have stuff like Stagecoach, which is a theater. I wanted to bring this point up too and make a note of how many theater stuff are now winning movie Academy Awards when they've already won Tonys. Uh, Pinocchio, but that's animated. You, uh, Dumbo, um, Yankee Doodle Dandy stage show. I mean, um, there's a, the the list is just like, you were mentioning James crazy, but even in, you know, 1945, the best score for the movie was anchors away, which was basically just written for like, you know, hooray us. We won the war. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But I I think it's, it's interesting to see that like, okay, the animated stuff, they weren't really giving like best movie or direction or anything like that, but they would create a category for best animation. And then they would say, Oh, the, the score, the music, everything other than that was so good here. You can get that. I mean, granted it's Disney, but the second thing was like they Rogers and Hammerstein would come out with a musical in like 51 and then that would get made into a musical movie in like 54 yeah. and it would win all the Oscars for the same shit that he won the awards for and the Tony. So I'm just like, yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's, it's kind of almost like that's a little bit of a rash. Cheating. Like if you're trying to sell, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're trying to sell albums you got and it, shit. You got it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you can't, you can't stifle the greatness. You know? Oklahoma, <laughs> the King and I, uh, yeah, all the way no, up were... to Ben Hur, the everything yeah. major mostly before that was either a Broadway show or an animated movie. Really, that has wow. won. We do need to do a Ben Hur episode, yeah, for sure. Apparently, but even yeah, after Ben Hur, you have you just have more films coming in. Breakfast at Tiffany's one, but then. Uh, you know, what was also there oh, was West Side Story, uh, Lawrence Arabia, yeah. then The Music Man. You know, it's it kind of goes back and forth. My Fair Lady, Dr. Chigavo, Sound of Music. Like, these are all w- right. uh, one year and then the other kind of things. Yeah. Oh, and real quick, I just wanted to, I got to plug the, the first soundtrack album of a film's orchestral score uh, was Alexander Corda's, and it was for 1942, The Jungle Book. And that was composed by Miklos Rosa. And that was the first album that had Mowgli on the album. He was like, some of the dialogue was in there too. And that's, Whoa. yeah, yeah. Okay. And that was in 1942. Uh, I didn't mean to get off track, Deb. I just had that really quick. <laughs> You're good. I just forgot. Uh, wait, I was scrolling through Book? this list. I also, just, this is a callback to one of our episodes a couple weeks ago for Halloween. 1976, the Oscar for Best Original Score goes to The Omen, which was literally satanic monk chants written probably (laughs) by the devil himself. And let's give it the award. Wow. Well, I mean, how are you not? Are you a feature from the devil? That's hard to get. Films are scored by... I mean, the competition (laughs) that year was Taxi Driver. Yeah, <laughs> like Damn. I would much Does rather driver have good music. It's got a good it. score. It's got a good score. Yeah, it's a. It's good. I, I, um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's just you know. Even if Taxi Driver had no music and it was just Robert De Niro shooting people, it would be better than the Roman <laughs> Satanic Chance. <laughs> <laughs> After Disney uh, made a shit ton of money off of releasing uh, the the album Standalone, yeah. did this become a trend immediately? Everyone started doing yeah, it? Yeah, everybody started doing that now. Uh, you got to do it. You know, mm-hmm. that's it's a whole different revenue now. <laughs> really quick fun fact here. There's a claim that 1926's Don Juan used the same Vitaphone technology as the jazz singer, but did it first. 
Ooh, so there's a claim here that the jazz singer was not the first one. and uh, But the soundtrack apparently was just kind of like, I don't know. It wasn't very popular. I think it was one of those mm-hmm. things that just fell through the cracks. They said they did it first. Okay. Before, before right. the jazz singer. Well, I, I believe them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, also. Pixar another... didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> another fun fact. While we're on fun facts, why not? <laughs> The term silent film is a retronym, meaning it, ah. it, it got its name after it died out. Kind right. of like how World War One, you know, they weren't calling that yeah. because nobody knew we'd have a sequel. Right, It was, yeah, it was yeah, the yeah. Great but, uh, War. It was the Great War. It was, Until uh, we yeah, decided to do another films, great films, war. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just called them moving pictures. Yeah. Yeah. What? What else would it be? It's never going to be sound that comes out of there. But, uh, Dev, you were talking a little bit about the Academy Awards, and I'm going to get into that now, actually. I think it's ironic that they gave uh, an Academy Award for for sound and music to Sunset Boulevard, which is a movie all about the losing... Love me some Sunset Boulevard. uh, the The addition to sound and music and the ruining of somebody's career because of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's incredible. I, I was like, that's pictures. a pretty big, that's a hard flex troll from the Academy. They're like, <laughs> yo, we're, we're so done with these fucking silent films. Let's put this oh, nail in man. the coffin right now. <laughs> that whole movie, that movie must have made people very sad. Like silent film actors. <laughs> very sad. It was like they knew it was over. Speaking of Academy Award for Best Original Score, this is an award presented annually by the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences to the best substantial body of music in the form of dramatic underscoring written specifically for the film by the submitting composer. So some pre-existing music is allowed, mm-hmm. uh, but it has changed. It, it changes all the time. Uh, it just changed this year, actually. Really? Uh, to yeah. what? <laughs> in 2020, it was 60% of the music had to be original. Uh, and then that raised to for sequels and franchise films, it had to be 80%. I don't know. It's a weird role. I don't quite know why. I, no, I understand. Okay, because it's like if Star Wars Episode Seven, for example, won yeah. Best Score. Right. And then Star Wars Episode Eight reuses most of the music that oh, they already I made see. for Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah. It's like, well, the music is just as good as it was last right. year. Yeah. But we already gave it an award for yeah. this, so it's like it's kind of weird. So it's like if you're gonna do a sequel. 80% of the music in this has to be brand new music for you to be considered again for another Academy right, Award, right. which makes sense to me. That makes Although sense. it does make it hard because a lot of those sequels do reuse a lot of the same themes and stuff, but yeah. you know, um, yeah. maybe pushes movies not like right on the laurels of the past centuries. Uh, I don't understand why the films, I guess, I guess cause a lot of licensed tracks are still used in films and stuff. So as long as 70% of it or more is like original stuff, like you can get away with some licensed tracks. That makes sense. I guess. The first winner of the Oscar <laughs> for their score was a 1934 movie called One Night of Love. So that was the first time that they had that award? Yeah, that was the first time. And, of course, this award has gone through so many name changes. I don't even have time. It was a list of, like, 20 name changes over the past. Really? You know, yeah. It wasn't always just called Original Score? No, no. It was called, like, a hundred different things. More specifically, the award for was for Columbia Studio Music Department. Louis Silvers, head of department, and uh, thematic music by Victor Schertzinger, and the lyrics were Gus Kahn. Wait, I have, a, oh. I have another question that I don't think any of us have the answer to, but I just want to throw out there. It's like calling music a percentage is a weird metric. 
Because mm-hmm. what is that percentage determined by? Like the yeah. number of tracks, right. the runtime of all the tracks. Like if a movie has five songs in it and one of them is a licensed track, does that mean that one fifth of the music? I don't know what percentage that turns out to because I don't math, but you know, twenty percent. That's twenty percent, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> is that is that how that's determined? Is it by runtime? What if like the first four tracks are original, are eight minutes long, and then the licensed track is two and a half minutes? Is it still twenty percent, or is it less now because it's less of the soundtrack? <laughs> how is this calculated? You guys um, have any comments on this? No, I have no idea. I I don't know how I don't know how they choose an Oscar for anything. To be <laughs> honest, because uh, the Oscars are all political bullshit. Yeah, but yeah, no. The the actual answer is it depends on who paid more money for PR. Okay, know. cool. Uh, yeah. Whose PR agent is more popular <laughs> with seventy uh, five year old white men from the Academy? So you know? all, yeah. but all you know the nowadays Academy they have like five people just... of color. So. It's all like a political campaign. So when it, no matter what the award is for every aspect of a movie, if you're a studio and you got a movie that's nominated, you want it to win so you can... This was in the days of ticket sales and then eventually to like VHS and DVDs. You move more units and you sell more with more accolades. So that's why they want that... They want to be able to say like on the DVD, Academy Award winning director, Academy yeah. Award winning actor... Blah blah blah, and then that they're able to charge more for like twenty two bucks versus like ten bucks for a movie. So, but what does that have to do with the percentage of music? How do you calculate percentages (laughs) of music? (laughs) Oh God! Oh, I don't know. I mean, back to that, I have no idea. I know one thing: they take that shit seriously. Shout out and rest in peace to Ronnie Chasen, the woman who got gunned down in twenty ten, the PR lady mm. who got a drive by shooting because she was uh, in the Oscar campaign. I oh think, shit! Yeah, really? I think she was trying to get Leo an Oscar that year for whatever it was. No, yeah, yeah, she was a. There was and someone killed her. A Has... dude on a bicycle rode up with an Uzi in Beverly Hills <laughs> on fucking like. I can't remember the street. I feel it was so bad for laughing. That's just ridiculous. No, but it's insane. Yeah. A dude on a bike, a dude, a homeless man on a bike with a $8,000 Uzi rode up on the bicycle to her car and fucking Uzied her. And everyone knows that some producer or some shit paid for the hit. You know, wow. it's like a known thing. Did they catch that man? No. Wow. Nope. They said that dude died. The dude on the bike who gunned her down. So they just tied oh, a loose ends. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Marilyn and rode him. Yeah, it was a uh, drug enema. He died. It was a CIA hit. (laughs) But anyway, that's crazy. The category was originally called best scoring. And at the time, winners and nominees were a mix of original scores and adaptations of pre-existing material back in those days. Uh, Following the controversial win of Charles Preven for 100 Men and a Girl, which is a wild title for a movie in 1938. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it was like Debbie Does Dallas, but I could be wrong. I have no idea. Um, (laughs) Again, Dark Web. (laughs) Yeah, Dark Web. And And you're worried about getting us canceled? Jesus, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But that one back in those days was, uh, that was without a credited composer. It was just all pre-existing classical music. That's, and that won the Oscar. That, yeah. yeah. What? No, 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 yep, no. What? Yep, what do you yep. mean? Yeah. That it wasn't. It was so controversial. That's everyone said that exactly what you just said, <laughs> Drake. And the Academy added a best original score category in 1939. 
Okay, all right. And then he got rid of the old one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So retroactively, that guy's got like an asterisk by his Oscar. Okay. It's an Oscar that doesn't exist anymore, you know? <laughs> I love how I, I love mean, how Drake's almost like, you know, hey, if you can go back to 1933, would you kill Hitler? He'd be like, no, I'd fix this fucking movie score situation. <laughs> <laughs> I would fucking kill the Academy. Uh, I could just see this dude be like, you never said original. Yeah. Nowhere in the Nowhere fucking in contract the, in the fucking, say it had to be original score. Hey, I picked the best music over the last hundred years you know and put this fucking movie. You know what? This is the best fucking music you're ever going to hear, all right? I, nobody said, I don't play the, do you play the piano? Because I don't play the fucking piano, all right? <laughs> I give you beautiful classical music. And that's what you're going to fucking get now. I go. arrange music. <laughs> I don't make music. I arrange music. I'm the DJ Khaled of my day. Did I make any of this? No, uh, but no. I brought you the people who did, okay? Give me the Oscar, and uh, it'd be a real shame if something were to happen to this office. All right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so do you think with... you deserve this award? Uh, do you think you deserve for your car to explode? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of a car bomb, Mr. Oscar man? <laughs> Mr. Louis B. Meyer. Because <laughs> that's the last fucking thing you're going to hear if you don't give me this Oscar. They're <laughs> like, I think, I think you picked the best classical music <laughs> for this movie. We think you really did. Because that's the last thing you're going to fucking hear. <laughs> <laughs> His dude just brings an old uh, uh, an, an album of just classical music to the theater. He's like, play this. Uh, <laughs> So, in 1942, the distinction between the two scoring categories changed slightly as they were now renamed to Best Music Score of a Dramatic Picture and Best Scoring of a Musical Picture. So, they, they're, doing, they're, they're messing around with the whole formula now. Um, and this marked the first time the category was split into separate genres, a distinction that technically still lasts today. Although there haven't been enough submissions for the musical category, I guess, since like 1985. But I guess it's still something that you can win. When I was looking through the um, those lists of scores, they, they did share awards and then they did distinguish them. So the term was original score for movies and then they had a category for original dramatic score. They had um, adaptation score scoring but best musical picture sounding is is so they had a motion picture and then a musical picture so a musical picture i guess would be where the majority of the audio is music like in a sense like an opera what makes an opera an opera is that the dialogue is sung yeah, right. so Lay Miz. Okay. Yeah. Well, not only that, I mean, not just Lay Miz, but musical. you know, like any get your gun. There's dialogue in that, but there's also more music and right. more singing, I think, than there is talking. Right. And yeah. so there was a call for like a distinction, like okay. I don't want my dramatic score going up against Yankee Doodle Dandy. Right. Yeah. It's okay. like, how could you win? Because it's designed to be musically entertaining right. versus something right. that's like designed to it's like apples set and a oranges. Moon. But now, but yeah. now there's there's not enough musicals to constitute like technically exist exactly but everyone would just now submit there's under not. original score yeah because it's like there's not enough people that are yeah there's like two for... a fucking year so you know? yeah. Although, between La 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 Land, the 40s 50s is when it's the 50s is when the mute the golden age of musicals really started with rogers and hammerstein so from the 50s through the 70s really there was a consistent amount of new theater and musical acts and then those the ones that were successful on broadway would then be converted into a movie 
the same way we would do a book now and just do right. the movie version as a way for studios to make money. So then, like I said, you know, that that pipeline, because the theater and musicals were still a big thing culturally. Now you have that, but you don't really have it with every Tony Award winning musical. Like, you know, the, there wasn't the really a wicked. Oscar, yeah. yeah, there right. wasn't really a wicked movie. I mean, you know, Rent, it happened with. But yeah. when was the last time you saw, uh, like, there's not even a movie for Book of Mormon. And Book of Mormon's fucking hilarious by guys who make movies. The Oscars always surprises yeah. me. Every time you hear about someone who hasn't won an Oscar or mm. something that didn't, you know, it always just. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so 1952 rolls around and High Noon features the song, Oh My Darling which proves instrumental in the commercial promotion of the film. Uh, and following the success of Oh My Darling, studios begin asking composers to write original songs for films now. Okay. Yeah. So and, Oh My Darling was like the first time that happened where yeah. it was like a song on right. its own. Yeah. And it was both for promotional purposes on the radio and ancillary revenue in the form of soundtrack albums as okay, well. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, what Oh My Darling, that? 1952. Wow, I'm surprised it took that long. I know, yeah. 1954, uh, composers transitioned from being employed by the studio to being kind of freelance. Oh, wow, yeah. took that long? Yeah, the, 1954 is kind of an interesting year because like the studios didn't... The studio system that they all knew with contracted, you know, those that's when the contracts started to dissolve. That's oh, when really even for actors yeah. too. Like mm-hmm. it took that late. It took yes. that long. Yeah, everybody became oh, wow. freelance wow. basically. Okay. Yeah, and it, not not all at once, mm-hmm. but it was the beginning of the end for the studio contract. What, made, what started that shift? The unions. Oh, okay. it was absolutely the unions. It became more of a gig economy. But yeah, it was all the union when it started in the '30s. All that shit evolved, and I mean, you know, uh, you've heard the horror stories here on the show about those studio contracts. You know, I mean, the <laughs> when they had to give their their part of their paycheck to a governor running, you know, right? Was, yeah, 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 right. But um, but yeah, unlike other conductors and instrumentalists, film composers do not belong to the American Federation of Musicians. Which sucks. I don't know what that is until now, but I hate that they can't be in there. You know? <laughs> also, uh, guys, uh, if, if you want, fixing that. Uh, I found out from the Academy's actual definition how you uh, like qualify it as a best original musical versus a best score. Okay. So the Academy says, according to the rules, the best original musical is defined as follows. An original musical consists of not fewer than five original songs by the same writer or team of writers, either used as voiceovers or visually performed. Each of these songs must be substantially or rendered clearly audible, intelligible, and must further the storyline of the motion picture. An arbitrary group of songs unessential to the storyline will not be considered uh, eligible. So that's the terms for you entering into that musical category now. So anybody out there that's a content creator, you want to take a stab at the category that's lacking to be, you know, if so, I hope somebody listening out there writes five musical movies and submits them all in one year just to get one of them in the fucking <laughs> <category. laughs> and hack, yeah. hack the approval process of this. <laughs> that's so funny. I, I mean, so like if, 
like Lay Miz, like is the thing that comes to mind. Like if Lay uh, Miz submits, and but it's the only one in that submitted to that category, do they just throw it into original score? Or do they just throw it out, or do they give it an Oscar? Like what? How does that work? Well, that particular IP is a little different because it was a musical first, and then it became a movie. And I'm not sure how they would treat something like that now. But this is talking about like an original movie that ha- is a musical, like Grease. Grease was a movie musical before it was a stage show. So was right. Guys and Dolls. So like if, a, if they're trying to do like uh, Pitch Perfect is a good example. That could qualify. Or okay. I mean, I, you know, something in that vein, you know, where it's it's okay. new. Um, yeah. La La Land, I think, you know, things like that. But if there's not enough submissions for musicals to be a category that year, can they still submit to original score or they're barred from that? It doesn't specify. It may specify on the original score language, which I can look up, but yo, know, this is just talking about the criteria no, it's okay. for that musical one. Yeah, that's okay. It's it's information. So But you but you know what I'm you know what the question I'm yeah, asking though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I would assume that they would just either give somebody an award or just not have it as a category because like uh, they, it might, you know, did La La Land win, get nominated for best score? I mean, I don't know. We can look it no up. No idea. <clears throat> I know that, you know, I think that it's more about like, hey, if you're coming out, if you're like the only one or two films that are musicals that are popular by studios, you got to think all this is run by fucking studios. There's no independent musical being offered up to the, you know, going to Sundance and then getting offered up. There's no low budget musical this is all like predetermined and chosen that's probably why they were like we don't even need to spend money on this category because we're already you know making it we'll just if it's big enough and good enough we'll lobby it to be best picture or something mm-hmm. that makes sense in 1958 miles davis's contribution to the french noir film elevator to the gallows is for one really fucking cool by the way but also that's a great this- name yeah, yeah, Elevator to the Gallows. And That's this an was awesome name for a band or like yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, somebody should definitely name their band that and in like homage to Miles Davis for this. I mean, um, it, also great name for genitalia. Yeah, The Elevator to the Gallows. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Go ride the elevator to the gallows. <laughs> Up next, The Doors. Uh, <laughs> Miles Davis wrote Gallows, the song for the movie. It's a jazz score in its purest form, having been scored with a trio of musicians improvising to the screen like they used to do back in the old days. And uh, it's it was really cool. And this sort of started that film noir jazz, you know, era. You had a lot of, like, in the 50s and 60s, you had a lot of big jazz musicians who started playing soundtracks you know like a streetcar named desire that was alex north he actually received an academy award nomination for best music score it started off this whole thing you had all these huge jazz musicians at the time were doing shit for movies is what i'm trying to say okay so um, to expand it outside of just classical exactly. music genre and yeah. like other musicians and it actually like... got cool yeah okay. yeah 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 Following the wins of four Walt Disney feature animation films in six years from 1990 to 1995, they had The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, 
Aladdin, The Lion King, during a period that they called the Disney Renaissance at Mm -hmm. this time in the 90s. Uh, It was decided to once again split the best original score category by genres, this time by combining comedies and musicals together. Now, what? Yeah. (laughs) So it was comedies and musical scores. If you did a score for a musical or a score for a comedy, you're competing. Those used to be different categories? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I. So, as uh, Alan Bergman, the chairman of the Academy's music branch, said, people were voting for the songs, not the underscores. We felt that Academy members outside the music branch didn't distinguish between the two. So when a score like The Lion King is competing against a drama like Forrest Gump, it's apples and oranges, not in the quality of the score, but in the way it functions in the movie. There's a big difference. But how does that relate to combining comedies and musicals? I don't know. Undecided. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, question mark. So wait, but are there? Is there today multiple film score things, or is it just original score again? They say that technically there's still multiple. Right. They say the that there's just one, yeah. But, like, but the dramas and co- dramas and like I said, it's yeah, and it's changed so many now. times. Yeah, Weird. it'll probably change again, like uh, soon. You know, that's how many times this thing changes. Mm-hmm. That's how many times they just decide. What's what? <laughs> the Academy's such bullshit, you know, and it's all so confusing. I don't understand how it all. How dare you? Got. We love the Academy. <laughs> yeah, we we love them. <laughs> Hopefully, film history, history of film, will get a a, a Oscar for best original podcast. I, you know, <laughs> I love the Academy, and Abercrombie Films greatly appreciates all the hard work everybody over at the Academy does on a day to day basis. The, the the best original half-assed history podcast goes to <laughs> Oh, but that split was reverted in 2000. So that didn't oh, okay. last right. long. Yeah. Cool. Um <laughs> they're like Forrest Gump Lion King same thing actually. Yeah, We're yeah. sorry. Same shit. Um <laughs> <laughs> Same shit. They're all movies. <laughs> they don't mean nothing. None of this none of this means anything. <laughs> Who cares? The two thousands was uh uh historically hallmarked by drunk depressives at uh, <laughs> at the Academy. So Yeah, very true, very true. None of these uh, golden men matter. <laughs> this is a naked Louie. It's just Louis B. Meyer naked. Don't you see it? <laughs> uh, in twenty twenty one, this year, the rules were changed again lowering the minimum percentage of original music from 60% to 35% of the total music in the film. What? Yep. 35% of your music in your movie has to be original. The rest of it... The rest of it can be The Doors album. The Doors. (laughs) Up next, The Doors. So yeah, you too can get an Oscar for picking music. You know, I think it's great. just record a little bit of it yourself. (laughs) The bare minimum. You know, I love... And don't get me wrong, I love scores like that. That's Scorsese's whole thing. He just, like, picks cool old and quentin tarantino they all just pick cool old like rock songs yeah but those are called soundtracks exactly and i don't think they should get an oscar compared to a composer yeah i agree i don't think someone who writes and composes all this music should be up against a fucking i'm pretty sure soundtrack is a category at the grammys oh Interesting. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. I guess, kind of. Yeah. A bit, but so like, that's yeah. probably where that stuff would traditionally live. 
Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I have it down here that one of them also won a Grammy. Uh, but the most recent winner as of recording this episode this year uh, of Best Score was Soul. Uh, the movie Soul, the score by the John. Was that the Pixar movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anime yeah. movies just keep sweeping. Jamie Foxx. Yeah, yeah, yep. And the score was John Batiste, Trent Reznor, and Atticus Ross, which is cool. pretty rad. Trent Reznor is a whole different ball game. I honestly, this is an episode on film scores, but I wouldn't be surprised if I came to you one day with film scores part two. Okay. Uh, because I think there's way more to talk about. Trent Reznor and his whole thing is just an entirely. We have to talk about one day. I don't have time here today, but like you know, Trent Reznor. Um, uh, Danny Elfman, these guys who start as bona fide musicians touring and becoming mm. rock stars and stuff who become film composers that are winning Oscars. And, you know, I mean, I think it's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. I just think it's a really interesting topic mm-hmm. to delve into on the next part. Sure. sure. <laughs> when part two comes around. Yeah. You know? Next year. Yeah. 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 When, next when, November 1st. When we run against the wall again one day and I don't have one written, you know. Oh. Um. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about like the top film scores now. These are the highest selling film scores of all time. And. Those give me my next question. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. These are the ones that went, you know, gangbusters. The highest selling score of all time. <laughs> Number one <laughs> was 1992's The Bodyguard. Wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Are we? How many are there? Ten. So it's start at 10. ten, right, and then go up to one. Well, this is the. Oh, okay. The lowest, um, and then up to like the highest paid, right? All right, fuck it. Okay. <laughs> then these start are, at one. Everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, that was the highest one." Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Why not? Um, <laughs> rewind, rewind this. Let's All try right. this David Letterman bit again. All right. <laughs> the top ten film scores, the top ten selling film scores of all time, are number ten. Number ten. Number, <laughs> number ten, ten. Number ten. Nineteen ninety-seven's Titanic sold eleven million copies. Okay. And it was mainly because My Heart Will Go On, okay. Celine Dion. Uh, 1987's number nine. 1987's Dirty Dancing. Uh, I had the time of oh, yeah. my life. Was that an original song for this movie? Yeah. Okay. Or uh, yes, that was an original song written for the movie about the guy who likes the teenager. Cool. Uh, at the camp. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> Is that what Dirty Dancing's about? Oh yeah, yeah. He's like, Why won't your mom and dad just be cool with me fucking you? And she's like, Probably because you're 27 and I'm 15. You know. Whoa. But, yeah. I mean, what a. It's a whole thing. Whoa. Yeah. And then Pat- like you know when they did number two, they legally couldn't do it in the states, so they had to go to Cuba. Where it was still legal. <laughs> Havana Nights, baby. Havana Nights. Oh, yeah, dude. Damn, I haven't <laughs> thought of Dirty Dancing, the Havana one, in a long time. That was a good it's one. It's got dirty in the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was actually a sequel? Yeah. It oh. was, yeah. Right, Dev? That was the thing, yeah, right? And Havana it's Nights. It's called Havana Nights. Yeah, yeah. I'm Cuba. like, I, yeah. I thought I might be having a fever dream, to be honest, but that was a real movie, and it was actually very good. Yeah. But, uh,. <laughs> But the Dirty Dancing soundtrack sold 11 million copies. Okay. Um, 1994. Oh, wait. Where am I? Number eight. Number eight. Number eight. 1994's Forrest Gump. Uh, That soundtrack sold 12 million CDs. (laughs) But that was all 
pre-existing chosen yeah. songs. You know what was the most... Hey, James, what was the most famous band that had one of the most iconic songs on there? I believe it was something about breaking through a wall in the Vietnam era. Oh, Creedence Clearwater Revival? Oh or the doors. <laughs> the doors. The doors. The doors. <laughs> the do- up next on Forrest Gump, the doors. But yeah, they had all sorts of people. They had Elvis Presley, Three Dog Night, CCR, and the doors. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to number seven. Siete. It was. It's <laughs> It was 1984's Purple Rain, and this was an interesting one because this was a soundtrack to Prince's semi-autobiographical film uh, that was like, it was written for the movie he about him. <laughs> he wrote Weird. a song for the movie about him. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this sounds and, like Charlie Day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was this... Purple Rain was certified 13 times platinum, and it sold 13 million copies. Wow. And is widely considered, I mean, it's Purple Rain. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like considered his best work, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fascinating. Number three? Six. Six? Wait, I don't have ten here. I must not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to start from one. I got thrown off. It's not ten. But, uh... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Number three. Number three. <laughs> it was John Travolta's 1977 film, Saturday Night Fever. And this was like a big disco soundtrack. Sold 15 million copies. And people Staying think... alive, baby. Yes. And people think it simultaneously exploded disco even more and killed it. <laughs> like People think that Saturday Night Fever was like everybody was really into it for a few months, and mm. then they were like, actually, disco sucks. Yeah. And now Saturday Night Fever has shown us that, <laughs> and now we're done with disco altogether, and okay, we can good. move on. Do you yeah, see yeah. Okay. hipsters <laughs> we can all have existed? On. Hipsters well, have existed all throughout generations. That's true, man. <laughs> yeah, as soon as, as soon as disco started to be like the mainstream thing, everybody's like, well, now all these fucking posers are doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it died. It died. Saturday Night Fever... Took the punk out of disco, you know. Okay, it commercialized right. it, dude. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, it took out the soul of, of doing cocaine <laughs> we, under, yeah, under a lot say, of lights. We used to just like to do a lot of angel dust and do disco, but now, like you know, all these kids are doing it. It's yeah, not cool they don't anymore. Like cocaine. Yeah, they're ruining it was our, like <laughs> Facebook. A lot it was of like when dust. Facebook was exclusive, when you you had to have a college email to join Facebook, and then they opened it up to anybody. Exactly. With any man. email. Exactly. And it ruined the world. Now it's metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, number two. Number two. Uh, El Wait, how did this happen? I fucked it up again. It wasn't three. It, that was number, number two. Number one. <laughs> number one. <laughs> you just had to take. You have to go back to the last episode and take my 10 through 1, and we just have to do it right. Or just keep it like it is. I don't care. I might just keep it like it is. We'll see how much energy I have when I get to this part of the podcast. (laughs) The highest-selling film score of all time 
was 1992's The Bodyguard. And this was Whitney Houston and our boy, The Koss. This was the Kevin Costner movie, man. Oh, yeah. That's right. We talked about this on the Cost episode. Not only does Cost have Waterworld and just be in the Cost 24 hours a day, this man also holds the title of being in the movie that had the greatest selling soundtrack album of all time. 17 million copies Why? sold in the Why U.S. Is this, alone. Because so, so it was Whitney Houston. It was I Will Always Love You. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah, so you know, it was that it was for this movie. It was Whitney Houston and uh, the cost man. He just doesn't miss. The cost doesn't miss, bro. If you haven't learned this by now, wait. Here's wait. the education. These are the top some numbers. Yeah, these are the top score. These are the top selling not, scores. There's not a single Disney movie in here. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, like not like uh, I would I would think. The Phil Collins record that was. <gasps> there were more. <laughs> there were ten. Should I just start? Should I do number <laughs> ten through through seven? We should just do all of them. Oh no, wait. my god. <laughs> I'm not fixing all this. Just tell us the rest of them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll just tell you the rest of them. Uh, 1995's "Waiting to Exhale." <laughs> the cause. Gods. <laughs> the soundtrack for this movie featured um, primarily black female artists, including the film star Whitney Houston, and it sold 7 million copies and also received 11 Grammy nominations. Wow. It won Best R&B Song for Shoop Shoop or Exhale. Um, <laughs> this, is get, this gets fun. 1996, Space Jam. Michael Jordan's theatrical debut came with a pumped-up soundtrack featuring the worldwide hit I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly. Oh, no. (laughs) That song was written for this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was R. Kelly. Dude, the, Um. the, the music video to that I Believe I Can Fly back in the day was R. Kelly in the middle of a cornfield, and they were playing Space Jam clips, projecting it onto a billboard behind him. And he was, like, singing really dramatically while Space Jam kind of played behind him. Um, that sold 6 million copies, uh, and that is also as many kids that he peed on, I think. Um, I was like, do you guys think that, you know, the fact that we remember R. Kelly being a part of a cartoon movie for children, that that hurt the reboot at all? Yeah, that could have, that probably could have. Nah. Yeah. You don't so think, if I were, I'm not a parent, but if I were a parent, I'd be like, I don't, I think we're going to skip this yeah. one to see another one. Yeah, the first time around, that turned out real bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they made a judgment call. I wonder what's going to come out in like, you know, 10 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then 1983, this was uh, number 10, actually. 1983's Flashdance, and that was a uh, maniac. Wait, okay, maniac, so we're done with the numbers now. Maniac. Yep. So again, no Tarzan. No Tarzan. The Phil Collins album Tarzan didn't crack the top it just, ten. Not the top ten. Uh, yeah. The yo the Tommy the Who's Tommy isn't even on there, and that was a f- huge record. And then the movie soundtrack. Yeah. And you and know, it got again, nominated for awards, but it didn't win any. Yeah, and and, we're, and again, we're talking about people who make up 
the rules too. I mean, there's no telling which of these were like considered something else or, you know, or mm. whatever. These, but these are the, these are the top 10, 10 selling sound. Oliver and company was another one that I thought might be up there just yeah. because the piano man himself made that one. Yeah. Speaking of piano men, man, Elton John and his whole Disney career. Is that what you're talking about? Or, or what? No, or, Billy Joel did uh Oliver and company. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's not on there, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe this this list is bullshit. Michael Jackson Thriller? What? That wasn't a movie. That's all it's kind music, of a movie. It was that's like all music video history, film. the history of music videos. Let me see. <laughs> yeah. Let me see. Um, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, folks. Yeah, we'll turn it over to questions now. Good lord, that was a mess of an episode. It was hilarious, though. <laughs> that was very funny. Yeah, no, the, al- the Tarzan album only sold 2 million copies. Wow, really? Yeah, as of 2014. What What was, what? The, t- what was the song in Tarzan? It was like... I mean, it was a whole Phil and Collins album. It's like, like, I'm a white man in a alone in the jungle, and I want to fuck a lady. Yeah, He was- didn't have any hair on his body. <laughs> A hairless man living in the jungle? Are you kidding me? I gotta have pubes to his feet. <laughs> Tarzan will be swinging around he vines wa- with waxes. his pubes. Look, he waxes. What? What else? What is he waxing with? Like gum tree? <laughs> yeah. Salt? Yeah. <laughs> or I guess it would be gum from the gum tree. Yeah. 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 yeah just, you know. He was hairless, man, and just ripped. <laughs> he would I don't be think ripped. you could get that physique. Just in the jungle. I just don't think so. I mean, you know? you're living off berries and bugs. <laughs> well, what are you lifting, bro? Rocks. Are you even lifting? Boulders. I mean, you gotta you gotta climb all those trees, dude. How do you think the gorillas get so ripped? <laughs> he's got like he's on. He's got like little sticks with rocks on the end of it for dumbbells. <laughs> he's on the gorilla workout routine. And gorillas are <laughs> jacked as hell. That's true. He just like fights animals all day. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Uh, it's uh, only two million copies. <laughs> Step up, Phil Collins. Um, but uh, yeah, when did um? Yeah, no, I guess we answered all the questions. <clears throat> I guess those were all the things I had in my head that needed to be thought. And like about. I said, this won't be the last time. I, I will definitely. This will definitely I'll, be the last episode we ever do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show's I promise the next one will be better. I, hey, uh, it's the weekend after Halloween. Yeah, what do you want from us? On. What do you want Halloween from us? Great. Aren't Look, we allowed to have some time off? Are we allowed Come to go on. on vacation every once in a while? I'll tell you what. I'm going to put this this classical music in the movie, and you're going to get me an Oscar, <laughs> all right? And I won't start breaking shit. <laughs> My boys outside won't pull the triggers on their Tommy guns. The car bomb will be the last thing you ever hear. <laughs> but, yeah, that's it for today's episode, everyone. That is... Uh, the history of film scores. Um, I hope you liked it. We're going to be coming to you soon. This is thanks. This is Thanksgiving month, so we're going to be doing some creative stuff for that too. Um, and then Christmas you know what I'm is, thankful for? What are you thankful for, Deb? That we made it through to the end of this fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm thankful for? Our listeners out there. Love you guys. Thanks for everything. I'm thankful this episode is coming in under two hours. Nice. Maybe it'll only take me eight hours. Well, (laughs) and then once we cut it down, it'll be 45 minutes of usable material. Yeah, yeah. Leave the shortest episode on record. (laughs) So if you guys want to hear the extended cut, go to Patreon. Yeah, yeah. We'll put the whole thing on. I would never do that. 
But yeah, let's sign them up. Let's sign them up. Everybody do your thing. Let's do the socials. You can find me at Drake Cummings on Instagram, at Drake underscore Cummings on Twitter. You can find my merchandise at Raging20sMerch.com. It's a... Uh, it's a take on uh, being back in the 20s again. Um, pulls a little bit from the 1920s and a lot of uh, modern influences as well. Check that out. And then you can find me at TikTok at Hollywood Drake. Awesome. You can find me, uh, Sailor underscore Dev, um, on Insta and follow Abracadabra Films uh, everywhere else. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I am thankful for you guys. You fans, you're the best. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Yeah, and you can find us at Film History, the history of film, all over your socials, FHHF podcast on some of them. And uh, you can find me at either James Y. Scott or Jimmy Deloy, depending on wherever it is. And you can also find me sweating my ass off, coughing up blood at a little tent with a projector rolling in the back, and I'm banging out the piano keys however I fucking wish, because all they're paying me is this bottle of whiskey. I'm going to make it up as it go. As film history. The history History. of film. You know what I'm talking about.